This is Wayne Jernell, editor of Theory and Research and Social Education, and this episode of Visions of Education features a TRSC published author. Enjoy. You're listening to Visions of Education, a podcast where we take a look at big ideas in education from different perspectives. Hi, I'm Michael Milton, a high school teacher from Massachusetts. And I'm Dan Kretka, an education professor in Texas. We're here to help bridge the gap between educators in the K-12 and those professors in higher ed. We hope this podcast will help bring those fuzzy ideas in education into focus. Michael, I've always been meaning to ask you, do you have anything to tell me about the Seven Years' War? What? That's an oddly specific question, Dad. Yeah, I mean, but it's something I've been meaning to ask you. That's uh, No, it's actually, no, I'm glad you asked, because I didn't know anything about the Seven Year War until I went on a vacation to Canada. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to Canada? I have not, and I really would like to go. I want to go to Toronto. Oh, yeah. I went to Prince Edward Island. Okay. Um, partially because, do you ever see, the, remember the Anna Green Gables thing? I do not remember that. We watched it as a kid. Also, my family's part of my family's from Prince Edward Island. So my wife and I went on vacation in PEI, and I ended up at the Acadia Museum, as, you know, sometimes you do that when you love, you know, you get excited about this. Of course. I was talking to the uh, librarian there. We started tracing my heritage. I had no idea, first of all, that I was Acadian. I didn't realize that until actually that trip. Secondly, I didn't realize that someone had written articles about my family. My family, apparently, uh, this guy named Joseph Goody, uh, Joseph Gaudet, it's another way to pronounce it. He was imprisoned on an island because of the British, and that's where he got married. But And then he went to go found a town in Prince Edward Island. But I had no idea that this was part of my heritage until I went to that random museum. Wow, that's a really cool story. Our own histories and the, our connections to history are really intriguing, right? It's like a way to connect to the past that's that's kind of different, right? There's something yes. fundamentally different about knowing that like your lineage or your culture like have some kind of extension backwards. I honestly never thought about the Seven Year War except for like it's, you know, the French and Indian War where George Washington might have started and you know, it's kind of like something you do to to move on to the American Revolution. I didn't realize that I had like a personal connection to it. So yeah, it just made me think, holy cow, there's so much I don't know and there's so many people whose perspectives I don't take into account that I should. And that's something we potentially could do in our classrooms to help students make connections potentially, not just with their own histories, but with histories that their families, cultures connect with, right? I don't know. Do you think we do that very much? (sighs) I think we should do it more. I feel like, yeah, there's that whole thing of who we leave out of history. And sometimes we do probably leave out a lot of different cultures. I think that not many people talk about the Acadians and how they ended up Part of them went to the other when they were kicked out of, uh, you know, the uh, Canada. They were some of them went back to France. Some of them went to New Orleans and became Cajuns. These are things that we don't often talk about, like the diaspora of people and how they get to places. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, this should be standardized into every state's curriculum right now. This very specific facts about <laughs> your family. <laughs> so today we're lucky because we're going to talk to someone who's thought about this far more than we have. And so we'd like oh, to good. welcome into the podcast, Sarah Levy. Welcome. Hi. Hey, Sarah Levy. How are you? I am great. How are you guys? Doing good. Can you tell us a little bit about your background in education? So I entered teaching backwards, I would say. My background was in Holocaust history. 
with my undergrad and my master's. And I got a job running a Holocaust ed organization in the Bay Area in San Francisco and San Jose. And so I just taught about the Holocaust and genocide in different schools for a couple of years. And that was really interesting and also really limited in that, like, I just taught the same thing over and over and was really became more interested in the ways that people think about and connect to history. Students, um, the students I worked with were primarily Latino students and Southeast Asian students, primarily Vietnamese students, also some white students, some black students in San Jose. And they would ask really interesting questions, um, things that I had not thought about that made total sense, things like, why are there white people killing white people, right? If we're talking about prejudice that is based on color, right, in the United States. Or they would try to put themselves into the history. What did Hitler think about Mexicans? And I'm like, I that's not part of what we talk about. Um, But it made me really think about the ways that students do kind of try to connect to history and see themselves in history. I mean, a question that that in some ways spurred the my dissertation research was that students would come up to me after I would finish giving my spiel and and would say, can I ask you a question? I don't want to be offensive. Always the question was, are you Jewish? And they were trying to figure out like why I cared, I think, about this thing that I was talking to them about. Um, the answer for me was yes. The answer for the guy who had the job before me was no. So it's not always that there's a heritage to connection to a history that you care about. But for them, it was something that helped them make sense of why I knew things about it or why I cared about it. Um, And so I was always kind of curious about other groups and how people connect to histories in different ways through that kind of heritage piece. Um, So that's, I guess, what brought me into uh, education. So how did you move from being a Holocaust educator into getting into the teacher education world? So I went from being a Holocaust educator to grad school at the University of Minnesota and, and focused on social studies education. And now I'm at Wells College. I'm assistant professor of education at Wells College, which is a very tiny liberal arts uh, college in the Finger Lakes region of New York. And I am a generalist. I teach everything, including social studies, which I love, um, and anything else you can think of. Do you find many connections between like Holocaust education and what you do as a teacher educator in general? I think that one of the things that my previous job helped me prepare for in terms of working with my current students who are lovely and wonderful in many, many ways, but also many of them are from small towns in central New York and don't always have, um, they have a lot of knowledge about where they're from, about rurality, and that's great. And that that brings a lot that I don't have. Um, and then I can kind of bring to them an experience of working with a more ver- more diverse student population. And so because I've worked in lots of different schools, lots of different communities, I can talk to students about this is how you may have interpreted a piece of history. This is how somebody from a different background might interpret a different piece of history or might or might see things differently or draw different connections. So I think that brings a, it's a nice balance between what I bring to the classroom, what my students bring to the classroom. Cool. Congratulations. Your recent article, How Students Navigate the Construction of Heritage Narratives, recently got published by Theory and Research in Social Education. Yes, it did. Can you tell us good. about that? I I can do that. So this is based on my dissertation study. Not that anyone cares that much, but it- it, We do care. I also care. My question, like I said, kind of comes from this, are you Jewish? And actually the, not the beginning of the article, but the beginning of the whole 200 page thing starts with that, are you Jewish question. So I wanted to, to talk to students. So I wanted to talk to kids about how they see those connections and not just talking to Jewish kids about the Holocaust, but talking to other students who have different heritage identities to heritage backgrounds about how they connect. And through a series of, networking emails and and hoping really hard found two found three groups of students 
looking at heritage narratives in classrooms. Because my other question was, what are you learning about heritage histories at home? Where do you learn about them at school? What, how do you make sense of these of these histories? Um, so I talked to Hmong students in St. Paul, Minnesota, which has a very large Hmong population. I talked to some Jewish students in a suburb outside of Chicago and Chinese students outside of Los Angeles. And the three heritage, so those are the three heritage groups and the three heritage histories they were studying. Hmong students were studying the Vietnam, uh, Vietnam War, the Jewish students were studying the Holocaust, and the Chinese students were studying the Cultural Revolution in modern China. And so that was kind of the premise was that I just wanted to talk to kids and talk to their teachers and their parents and have this kind of large and complicated data collection process to find out what they were thinking, what they were learning, what they were doing there. So that, that was a, it was a pretty basic question, right? How do students make sense of these stories that they hear from different places? But yeah. with specifically with that heritage piece is like the kind of key component. It's really interesting. Whose history do we teach is kind of constantly a question. And mm -hmm. how does that change from one of us to another? So what did you find out from the students? So I, what I found out from them was they really, really wanted heritage histories taught in school. All of them said, this is now granted, right? These are kids who chose to participate in the study. So take that for what it's worth. But, but of the ones who chose to participate, and these are 17 kids across the country, mostly freshmen, sophomores, and juniors, who said, yes, this is important. And it was important for the Jewish kids whose history has been included in school for multiple years because the Holocaust is taught all the time. It was important for the Hmong kids who, in their AP US history class, for a lot of reasons, their teacher spent two days on the Vietnam War, black periods, so 180 minutes, Vietnam War. She mentioned the secret war, which is the part that really affects Hmong kids for about 90 seconds, give or take. And those 90 seconds were really important to the Hmong kids and they wanted more, right? And the teacher, um, who had taught in that community for a long time, had good connections with the community, was not herself Hmong, but, but really had, had worked hard to learn about the culture, learn about the kids, learn about their families, was like, they know this. They're, we don't need to do it in school. And the Hmong kids said, actually, we don't. They really needed the information, what they knew, was how the Vietnam War impacted their families. Like they knew that it was why their families moved to the United States. They knew about their families fleeing Laos and being in refugee camps in Thailand and struggles to come to America and all of those things. Like they knew that refugee narrative really, really well. But the actual details of what had happened, they didn't always have. As their parents hadn't told them, they hadn't studied in school, where were they supposed to find this out, right? And when I talked to the parents, they could tell me the stories. And I said, well, have you talked to your kids about this? And they're like, well, it might be too scary for them. It might be a little bit painful for me to talk about. So there were reasons why it just hadn't been passed down. The Jewish kids, like I said, had heard it a lot in school, a lot also sometimes from home. The majority of the Jewish kids I talked to did not have a personal family connection to the Holocaust. One student's grandmother had left very early. So she knew that story, but the others didn't. And then when you looked at the, the Chinese kids, they were a mix of kids who had who were themselves immigrants who had moved here when they were maybe five or 10 and kids who had been born in the States, but all of whose parents were grew up in China, right? And some of them knew a lot because their families had talked to them a lot. And some of them said, I don't know. And there were a, a couple of girls who were like, I don't know. And I'm really embarrassed. Like, I feel like I should know. People ask me this. I'm Chinese. Like, I'm supposed to have this information and I don't know, right? So ki the kids came from all different places. But what was really important to them was that we talked about it. And what was important to me as a teacher educator, as a teacher was, we have this assumption that if there's this heritage connection, there's like an emotional piece, and then the kids can't do that good historical thinking that we want them to do. 
right? We want them evaluating sources and multiple perspectives and all that like awesome stuff. And then there's this like piece where we think that maybe they can't do that if they have this like emotional heritage connection. No, it's my people. I can't think clearly about it. Actually, they really can. They're really good at it. And they would learn things. And I think this was most clear. There were a couple of really clear cases in the, in the Chinese case where what they had learned at home, what they were learning at school was different. And they were, they were trying to make sense of it, right? They were just trying to make sense of, okay, I've heard two different competing narratives. One's not more important than the other. One's not more correct than the other. But let me evaluate how this all fits together to make a more complete story of the past. So I think a really important thing for teachers that I found is that kids want this. In a lot of cases, they need it because it's not, it's not happening elsewhere. It's not happening at home the way we think that it might um, for a lot of reasons, right? And that's okay. It doesn't all have to happen at home. And I know teachers have a lot of, you know, we have more responsibilities, all that stuff. But I think that they, we can, you know, put it in and it's, it can come naturally depending on, it's all contextual. Who are your students? Where are you teaching? You know, what are you teaching? Are you teaching U.S. history? How do we do all that stuff? So there's a lot of places it works, I think. At my school, we actually have a sizable Armenian population. Mm-hmm. And so I, I noticed a few years ago, the few times that I've mentioned the Armenian genocide, they've gotten very excited because they said that they never hear about it in school. And so luckily I was able to a speaker who just wrote a book about the Armenian, uh, the Armenian genocide, particularly her grandfather's uh, walk that he took through Syria. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was able to go to that, and a lot of my other students were there because they do get uh, a very decent. There's a you know a sizable Armenian population where they can get that education, but it was really kind of cool to see students in that atmosphere, um, and I was very happy that those. Although today I had a student who was Albanian, and she said that class wasn't good because we never talked about Albania except for that one time when Italy took it over, and I said, I'm I'm sorry. Like I I mean you know it's hard to to work everything in when you're teaching, you know, a survey course. Um, but we briefly talked about the beaches of Albania and she was kind of, ha- she was happy for a few minutes, but I realized that, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to kind of like hit your, all the different cultures in your classroom. It is. And what advice do you have for teachers to, to kind of honor the, the traditions and, and, and cultures of, of your students? Yeah. And that's a really good question. I think to go easy on yourself, right? You're not going to get it all right. You're not going to get every student. You don't also know, right? Unless the student comes in and you don't always know a specific student, what their heritage is, unless they share it. Some students you might, some students you don't. But I think being conscious to do that work. Also, what I have found doing Holocaust Ed stuff, it was for a nonprofit, was that parents of students from cultural heritage backgrounds that aren't represented in mainstream narratives in the States will come in and help, right? Was that they they were like, yes, we have this information, we have this, we want to talk about it, that if you can recruit that local knowledge and bring it into the classroom, it does something else that, that I thought was interesting. It doesn't show up in the article, but students found that um, when you put their heritage history in the classroom, it validates it as like official history, that it's not real history if it's not in a textbook or if it's not in the classroom, which is like a troubling prospect, but that's just the way it is. That's how they think about it, right? Was that it's real history if it's in the classroom. So yeah. even if it's bringing in and giving like their grandmother or their mom or a community member space within that formal setting, that validates that kind of home knowledge. Do I think it's right that the home knowledge gets short shrift? No, it sucks. That's not how it should be, but it's what happens, right? Is that that home knowledge doesn't get the same value that the school knowledge does sometimes when it comes to what is history, capital H history. So I think one one way that teachers can think about it is is recruiting 
community members um, who are willing to share how were Albanians affected? If we're talking about the Cold War, how was Albania affected, right? What was going on for Albanians, Albanian American experiences? What was that about? Because I think for a teacher to try and go and research every community that their student might represent, it's exhausting. You can't do that. And I always talk to my teachers about when they bring in history, it's like, it's also impossible, right? Like you're not going to get everyone's history, right? And you shouldn't really try because you're, you're, you're <laughs> probably going to butcher it and make mistakes and things. I mean, I've always kind of promoted the idea of opening spaces for students. And I think that can be done through projects. But like, if you first learn your students' backgrounds or what histories they may be interested in, and maybe even include a question about, do you have any connections or heritage that you would like to learn more about in this class? And you do that early in the semester, you can potentially then have a better idea of, okay, let's open a, let's do a project where we open a, you know, some time for you to research your own topics. Uh, Just an example. I mean, I remember I took a really poor history course uh, at a community college during college. The course was just not taught very well, very traditional, boring textbook stuff. But it ended up being one of the most impactful courses in my life because one of the things we did is our own research and we had projects and I ended up researching the Tulsa race riots. And that was really impactful for me because I grew up in Tulsa and knew very little about the race riots. And it made me ask really important questions about why I didn't really learn about it in high school. Uh, Because the high school I learned Oklahoma history at happened very close to where the Tulsa race riots were. And it was from a very privileged, primarily white high school at that time. That was before I I transferred high schools. And so it also made me ask a lot of questions about white participation. Because I feel like in my little white world, I think I assumed that the history and things were a little better. Like I wanted to take this kind of oh, things aren't as bad as people think here. And I remember being like, oh, maybe they are and maybe they're worse than I thought. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it allowed me to really think about identity issues, local history in ways that I hadn't been able to. For that class, I read five books like during that, like way more than the (laughs) teacher could ever sign because I just got consumed in understanding. It's one of the things that made me want to be a history teacher because I was also like, why wasn't this taught to me? You know, why didn't I learn about this? Because this is more important. So... I don't. What, have you seen successes with people opening spaces where the students can do their own research? Yes, I think so. I think the important piece there, potentially, or one thing that I think can help, the teacher in St. Paul is teaching the Hmong kids, does something like that where she assigns them, they're looking at, I think it's modern U.S. history, I forget the exact dates, it's like 1930 to 1990, something. And the kids are supposed to do some research, just do an interview of someone who lived during that time. A lot of the Hmong kids interview the parents, grandparents, right? What she's done in the past is have them as part of class time, read, critique, respond to each other's interviews, right? And the year that I was there was one of the worst winters in Minnesota, and it's just kept snowing. And so her time was really shrunk by snow days, as happens. And so she made it a homework assignment. And I think that it, when it stays in the classroom and it becomes public, right, kind of that like authentic instruction stuff, that the, the research, I think, is important. And then the opportunity to share it and have it, again, be part of that official knowledge piece, I think is important, too, right? So it's, it's that they're doing the research and then that you have a museum night, that you have a gallery walk, that you have something where you're letting them also use that research to teach their peers, to teach other people, community members, whoever. I think that that potentially important piece of that individual research project, but I think it's something that works uh, and when done really well, works really well. And like all things, right, it needs structure and direction, all that good stuff, but can be really a really another good way to 
bring it in without the teacher doing all the heavy lifting. Let the kids do the work. I always tell my pre-service teachers, look, if you're doing all the work, you're doing it wrong. I love the idea of the, like the night at the museum, the cultural night at the museum. That's kind of cool. Yeah. I mean, a couple of schools around here have been really trying to do some of that project-based learning and, and with the public piece of, you know, night nights at the schools and stuff like that. And parents come and community members come and it's a lot of work, but I think that I see kids get into it and kids are answering questions and talking about ancient history in ways that this is, can be some really dry stuff as, as a, as a student, like I found nothing more boring than ancient history. It was just (laughs) dry and a textbook and I didn't get it and I didn't see a connection to it. And it, I was always angry about the way they treated women. And I just, so I'm, I'm seeing students get excited about it. And I think part of it is because they're, they're making connections, right. And they're making it their own. So for teachers that are really wanting to do more, you know, work around um, heritage narratives and history in their classrooms, what's some specific like advice maybe you'd give that that they could use to kind of get started? To spend a little bit of time and figure out who your kids are, right? To do that work and then to do a little bit of research about where that fits in and how you want to fit it in. The other thing that I found, and this is something all of the teachers I talked to, and there are three, so we're not talking about a lot of teachers, but the teachers I talked to were all like, oh, yes, I'm conscious of my student population, and I really try to bring in that history. None of them were really great at it. The one mm-hmm. who thought he did it the best did not, because he showed movies every day, right? So it's really hard <laughs> to have your kids talk about their family's experiences and what they know if the TV's on. They can't do that. Um but he clearly valued it and he wasn't always doing it. So I'd say the other thing is, is for teachers, and this is right, just generally good teaching is reflect on what you're doing. I say, I want to bring this in. I've learned a little bit of history about the, the, te- the teacher of the Chinese kids um, had just vast knowledge about this time period. He knew a lot because he kept talking to me about it. Um, but so it wasn't that he didn't know. It wasn't that he didn't know what his students' family's experiences might have been. He was very conscious of that. But then when it came to the actual classroom space, he didn't make space for those stories. And so I think that we get caught up in coverage and we get caught up in whatever state tests we have and whatever district guidelines that we have. And those are all very real. But taking as much space as you can create for students to tell those stories, to do that research, to do the work themselves and share it with their peers, the better off you are. So I think that's something to remember is to make sure you make the time and make the space for the students to have the conversations, to do the writing, to do the research. And it may be that, you know, some students aren't into it as much as others, but some will really get something out of it, right? And I think that's, I think that would probably be a a one thing that I saw is do it, do it the best you can. Students appreciate even a little bit. Don't assume that they know everything, right? Try to find out what they know. Don't assume that they know everything Uh, and help them walk through complexity. Help them walk through complexity as much as you can, because they will find things that are complex that don't make sense. And they need help with people walking them through that thought process, but they want to engage in that thinking process. So don't treat heritage histories different than other histories. Know that they're important and that they matter. Oh, God, this is heritage history for this group of students. I need to be really careful. Not any more or less careful than you need to be in, you know, accurately representing other histories. Right. You might be more sensitive to it because you know that your kids are paying more attention and they're going to tell their parents and you're worried about a phone call. They get that. But don't. Right. I, when I used to teach about the Holocaust, sometimes teachers would say, oh, I had to bring you in because I didn't want to do it wrong. And I'm like, well, do you think you're teaching all the rest of your history wrong? That's a problem. But don't <laughs> don't put specific histories on a pedestal or don't treat them like they're, they're all valid. Right. 
Don't put the Milton family Arcadian histories on a pedestal. Arcadian. 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 I mean, if they were Arcadian, that'd be actually kind of cool. Kretka, you got it wrong. Acadian. Kretka, what are you doing? (laughs) That's my impression of the Milton family. I bring it out every couple episodes. (laughs) I I doubt it's uh, very accurate. I really like that idea of figuring out where it fits within your curriculum because that can challenge kind of what we often get, which is those very Eurocentric narratives that guide the entire curriculum. And that's the challenge oftentimes is the standards and everything else are guided by those. So disrupting that requires really rethinking like why are we teaching about this and whose history are we teaching and and asking those questions could really lead to a far more balanced dynamic you know inclusive way of approaching history so that's really cool have you seen any students who struggle with dealing with these identity issues or any challenges that really come up um, or students who just don't want to engage with their heritage histories i haven't but again, mine was the, the research that I'd done has been interviews with students who wanted to participate and, and classroom observations. And even in classroom observation, I didn't see anyone really shut down or, or shut to like, I can't, I don't want to deal with this, right? It didn't see that at all. And so I think that students, I think that that's always an issue, right? And it's a possibility. And it's something that some other research that I'm doing now with Maya Shepard, who's at the George Washington University on just emotion in the classroom in general around lots of different histories. I'm talking to teachers about managing emotion and students, you know, like this fear that students are going to somehow be emotionally inappropriate in the classroom based on, on curriculum. Wait, that, wait, 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 wait. What do you mean emotionally inappropriate? Uh, so like when teachers, and this is, I think, only going to become more possibly, talking specifically about current events and about race, that, that students' emotions get to a point where teachers are kind of like, I can't. Gotcha. Right? It's too much, not emotionally inappropriate. I mean, I, I do have um, conversations with students about well, what do you do? And this has happened to me when you teach about the Holocaust and you show images that are disturbing and kids laugh, which might also be like emotionally inappropriate, right? And what, why is that? Well, you can't get mad at them. They're 13 or 17 or nine. Hopefully they're not nine. But I think just because like there's time and a place, this idea that, yeah, like we do manage emotion in the classroom. If you're bringing out something that students have a heritage connection to, there is the possibility that you're bringing out a little bit more that you didn't know about, right? But that's, we also, what we also found in that research is that you never know what it is that's going to have a connection for a kid, right? You don't know always, if you're talking about the history of prison in the United States, whose family member is currently incarcerated or about to, like, right? You, You don't always know. It's not always something that you can find out. You don't know if you're talking about World War II, whose grandfather or great-grandfather has just died. Like, we don't always know that about students. We don't always know what's going to have that emotional connection. So since it's always kind of a wild card, I don't know that, that I would say that history teachers always kind of have to be prepared for students to have a reaction to content that we weren't expecting and to help that kid process through that the best that we can. That's fascinating. You, this is an upcoming research project. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, to finding out what you what you. Uh, yes, hopefully. <laughs> it, we just submitted the first draft to be reviewed. So in two years, talk to us. Hopefully it'll have been published. <laughs> we hope to have you back then. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah Levy, for, for coming on and talk to us today. Of course. Sarah, where can our listeners find you and your work online? Are you on the Twitters? I'm on, on the, the Twitters. T- you oh. can find me on the Twitters at ProfSlevy. P-R-O-F-S-L-E-V-Y. Do you have any other um, places where your research is located? I think that my most of my stuff is posted on, I have a ResearchGate 
page. You can always just email me. It's slevy at wells.edu. And I'm happy to send out anything or answer any further questions or get yelled at, whatever seems appropriate to whoever is listening to this. No one yell at Sarah. <laughs> Don't yell at any of our guests. That's a warning. Meh. No, You can <laughs> yell at us. We're okay. You, yeah, <laughs> yell at <laughs> us. Directed at us. Thank you so much. We really did enjoy having you on and we'll hope, hope to continue the discussion online and in other spaces. Cool. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. At the Vision at the Visions of Education podcast, we are all about sharing the learning. If you're doing something cool, creative, fun, or you just want to talk to us about education, tweet us at Visions of Ed. We're also on the Facebook and oddly on Instagram. And of course, if you haven't already, subscribe to Visions of Education on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere you want us to be. We do open mics. When did we get on Instagram? <laughs> oh, crap. Not Instagram. What's the other thing we're on? Pinterest. Aren't well, they the I, same? Thought, I thought maybe you were just adding a new social media platform like every month or so. <laughs> we're not on the Instagram. Don't go there. No. To After this episode, you now have to put us on Instagram. And <laughs> while you're there, you might stop over and write us a five-star review on iTunes. If you do so, we'll read it on the air. And it helps people find this podcast. And it helps our self-esteem. It does. It picks us up for at least 24 to 48 hours. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Dan Kretka. And I'm at 42 Think Deep. Until next time, this is the Visions of Education podcast, signing off. Bye.